one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to the following on podcast from Talk Sport. I'm John Norman in New Zealand where life continues much like it does everywhere else in the world. In the main, hoping friends and family stay safe during these strange times, but also daring to dream it might not be that much longer before normal life, sporting and otherwise, may resume. A pause in play, though, has given everyone a chance to regroup and recharge and also look around for some of those stories that sometimes could be missed in a calendar normally crammed full of sporting content. And I'm pleased to say I'm bringing one of those to you today because sport does conjure up unlikely heroes. And today's interview focuses on one of them, a man whose day in the big time finally came uh, at an age well into his 30s, a cricketer tipped to play for Australia at one point, but who ended up representing the country of his birth and one who never, ever gave up the dream of making it a reality, professional sport as a career. New Zealand's Will Somerville. First question, really. I mean, it's a fascinating story and one that uh, I'm looking forward to to, to delving into but okay I've got three surreal moments from your well I imagine they're surreal you can tell me three moments I'd say from your career tell me which yeah. one of these stands out okay making yeah. your T20 debut for the Sydney Sixers uh, mm-hmm. on the day when 80,000 were at the MCG you were in Perth uh, playing the first ever game I believe of 2020 cricket for the reigning Big Bash champions that's that's option one option two Running into bowl for New Zealand or walking into bowl for the first yeah. time against uh, Pakistan, the UAE, or option three, you'll see. Uh, walking onto your old home ground, the SCG in Sydney, um, a ground that, um, or a city really, that you'd, you'd grown up in as a teenager, mm. lived in as an adult, your kids were born there. Uh, but to do mm. so, playing for New Zealand against Australia, mm. of those three moments, uh, when you look back, if there's not another one to add to that list, and I'm, I'm sure there will be, which one will stand out as the most surreal, magical, dizzying, maddening, weird moment of your career? Yeah, I think the uh, actually 
pretty clearly that last one being back in Sydney, that was the weirdest for sure. And just like totally surreal, like sort of like how the hell did I get to this point? Um, being, you know, growing up in Sydney basically and um, always been a proud Kiwi, all black supporter and all that and wanted to play for New Zealand when I played for Otago when I was 20, played like four first class games when I was between 20 and 25 and was trying to be a cricketer in New Zealand and then moved back to Sydney to be with my girlfriend who's now my wife. But I think being at the SCG in January earlier this year, and the, with the national anthems on and just like I was like look and then my kids were there my family and my parents and yeah I was just like in tears and just like joy and excitement for the game it was um, unbelievable really and yeah I think also playing for the Black Caps it's something I sort of when I was since I was a little kid um, I always wanted to do it growing up in New Zealand until I was nine I, was, I met Martin Crow and I vivid memories of meeting Martin Crow a couple of years in a row at my club in Wellington and he was obviously one of the best batsmen in the world at the time and as an eight nine year old you sort of like very you know starstruck I suppose at that point and something I'll never forget and always was enjoyed watching New Zealand play cricket after that and yeah supported them and you know to be playing for them at age 34 after playing a lot of club cricket for many years and then yeah, to get to get that first black cat was very emotional and special as well. Um, but I think that whole the whole full circle situation in Sydney was pretty bizarre and uh, um, yeah, hard to describe in many ways. But um, yeah, my whole life was kind of clashing from all sides. <laughs> my schoolmates from high school were there from Sydney, um, and a couple of them. I, you know, had bets with me that if I played that test, they'd wear one of my shirts. So they wore a, a silver fern on their chest for an Aussie. It was a pretty tough thing to do. Uh, so like just stuff like that was, yeah, it was a crazy week in Sydney uh, with my family and friends and stuff. It was unreal. Yeah. Nice. It sounds it. I mean, okay, just for those listeners who aren't completely familiar, and apologies if I get some of the dates wrong, but it's quite a tale. Uh, but if we go back to the beginning, right? So you hold dual nationality, you're, you hold uh, Kiwi and Aussie passports. You were born yeah. here in New Zealand. You moved to Australia when you're nine. You came back yeah. to study or with your girlfriend, I'm not quite sure, but you'd be studied here in New, uh, yeah. in New Zealand at uni. You played for Otago uh, back in 2005. Then yeah. when that didn't quite work out, you moved to Sydney. That's what you're talking about. You moved to Sydney yeah. with your in girlfriend. Yeah, 2009, to... where you became a, began a career as an accountant. Um, mm -hmm. Then it wasn't until 2016 that you started playing for New South Wales. You played in oh, the Big Bash the same year. Then in 2018, I found an article where you were being linked to a, a call-up for Australia um, yeah. after you'd had um, a really good spell in the Sheffield Shield. And then you turned your back on New South Wales when you heard that you might get a call up for the Black Caps if you move back to New Zealand, where you play for Auckland. And then you made your debut in Test cricket in New Zealand, well, not in New Zealand, for New Zealand, um, and starred in their first overseas Test Series victory in Pakistan for 49 years. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, basically, the, I debuted for New South Wales in 2014. So at the end of that, um, so the beginning of the summer, 2014-15. So it was like October 2014 at the MCG, I debuted four days. So I, I hadn't played a first-class game for seven years or six or seven years or something. Wow. Um, so yeah, so then I played grade cricket in Sydney and then debuted for New South Wales. And that's when I 
so I quit my job January 2015 because the contracts are full time. Um, obviously, a pretty full on professional system in Australia, and yeah, it was, it was like it was a pretty easy decision to quit my accounting job, and I was very excited to do that and get into the cricket world that I'd always wanted to be a part of. So, but yeah, tell, tell us about life as a chartered accountant. Then, mm. I mean, playing grey cricket, I, I imagine it's or club cricket. Is that the same thing? Um, at yeah. weekends. A uh, full-time job, uh, you know, husband or partner, kids on the way. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure when that that will happen. But that's a busy week. I mean, how did you juggle all that? I mean, was it literally nine to five, staring out the windows, wanting to play cricket, and then you know, having to say to the to the family, yeah. "Look, I'm gonna on my days off, I'm I'm gonna be spending it in the field. I'm, I'm not gonna be able to help out much at home." I mean, that's, that yeah. sounds like quite a crazy life. Yeah. So I wasn't. Well, I, I didn't have kids until I was. Uh, well, Hugo's four now, so when I was 32. In 2016, he was born. So, but when I was playing grade cricket from 2009 to 2014, I got married in 2012. So, but anyway, like basically, it was yeah, busy time because you grade cricket's quite serious. So you've got to, you've got to basically go to two trainings a week at least um, to be a part, to be available for selection almost it's quite um ruthless and they you require quite a big commitment i suppose because um, it's so competitive there's five grades and you want to be in the top grade um so i was kind of proving myself there so i'd go i'd just start work early in the morning like 7 30 and then i'd leave at like four so i could get some daylight bowling in the nets um two days a week and now i do my fitness and stuff early mornings with other teammates that were driven and trying to you know be playing for New South Wales and stuff or had already done so. Um, so that was, yeah, that was a really, I think it was a really good time in my life. Like it was super busy, but it's kind of how you want to be in life, right? You don't want to be mm. doing nothing. And I think that balance as well with my job and my family and friends, and my, my fiance and then wife, um, you know, just managing all that stuff was kind of challenging, but fun. And then I was studying my CA. That was probably the hardest part, this, the studying of the CA, which was, I finished in 2013. Um, that was a big deal. Like that's that was four years of study and work and trying to be a cricketer. <laughs> it was like cramming it all in there, but I managed to get through those exams. Um, yeah, just with some good cramming skills, and had a good friend who taught me how to practice for the exams, and that made a huge difference. And yeah, got through my CA and just loved playing cricket as well. I suppose that that was what what drove me. Like the the drive wasn't necessarily there to be a professional cricketer, but it was to be a first grade winning team and like a, a strong team in Sydney. And I was also always hopeful and dreamt of being a professional cricketer um, as I had been sort of temporarily in New Zealand. I was really just a student who played the old game. Um, but, you know, I was part of a professional team then for a couple a few years and then, yeah, hoped to do it again and eventually got a second living game in 2014 for New South Wales and bowled a bunch of overs. Didn't take many wickets, but they were happy with what they saw. Um, Phil Jakes and Trent Johnson were the coaches. Trent Johnson, the Irish, played a lot for Ireland. And then he became the head coach the next year. But Trevor Bayliss picked me, who's obviously all you English guys know very well. He's an unreal coach, like an absolute legend. Gave me my first opportunity um, to get my baggy blue hat for New South Wales. And I'll never forget that that chance and then on debut in the four-day game against Victoria at the MCG I took like none for 130 <laughs> in two innings and <laughs> uh, the first thing like none for 114 off 24 overs or something we got laced around the park and we lost by 10 wickets or something um, but I sort of held up an end for a bit so I sort of did something in the game and played the next game in Adelaide and did well there took some wickets and 
um, yeah, from there it just kind of, thankfully they had faith in me. I played one more game that year. So the only reason I got a contract is because Nathan Lyon had a, his second daughter. This is another weird part of the whole story. Well, I was, I was, read, I was reading about that because is it that once you had that, got played that third match, it meant you got the yeah. contract and you were crying yeah. in the car park. Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I just rang my rang Ellie, my wife, and just said, "Yeah, so yeah, I'm playing, and I'm gonna yeah, I got a contract now, and I'm signing a contract as we speak, and just like just over the moon, just so happy because it'd been I suppose five years of working, training, hoping, and then you can't you know twelve years of trying to be a professional cricketer, and suddenly getting at thirty signing my first full time contract, and it meant I could you know." relinquish my job um, at the accounting firm and take it. I wanted to do it properly. And I've always said that ever since I've been a cricketer, I'm like, I want to do it properly and be the best I can be and put everything into it. Cause this is an opportunity that I'll, you know, in a few years, well, potentially two, three, four years time, I'll be too old and I'll be happy to go back to a desk job. But right now I'm just giving it everything I've got and trying to play as much test cricket as I can now. So, yeah. During your time as a, as a great cricketer, were there players that came that were alongside you, your contemporaries uh, that went on to also make it for New South Wales and, and possibly Australia? Yeah, so when I played, I played for Sydney University. So my first two years were at Easts in Sydney with Peter Neville, who played 17 tests yeah. for Australia. Yeah, Peter. Legend bloke, like he's captain New South Wales now. Mm. Um, good friend, good guy. And then, so he was there and um, Peter Forrest was there as well. He played a little bit for Australia some one days. Um, so they were there and I played with Dave Warner that oh, both those years I think he played like a couple of games in and out um, but he was busy with his other international stuff by then um, so those guys but then at Sydney University was when things really changed for me because I went I changed clubs and Greg Mayo was captain he played he's a legend of New South Wales cricket um, I think he played almost 80 games for New South Wales opening batsman and just a, a great man and a very inspiring captain and it just filled everyone with confidence and belief. You know, he played so much cricket. It's just like, it's another game, guys. You can beat anyone. It doesn't matter. That sort of attitude. As a senior guy, he was very influential on another guy, Nick Larkin, who debuted the same season as me, I think. We debuted in the same game, I think, at the MCG. Larko. So Larko is now the Sydney um, Sydney University first grade captain. Um, so that he was one one guy that we we sort of had at the start of our professional journey together, which was pretty special. Um, yeah, and then uh, Scott Henry played a lot for New South Wales. He was at Sydney Uni, and Ian Moran who played a lot of cricket. Another Sydney grade cricket legend. He was at Sydney University, and then he played for the Thunder and the Sixers. Um, I don't think he ever played. A first class game for New South Wales, sadly, like somehow he's one of the great, the best ever to not. Um, yeah, so there's there's a few people along the way. Um, yeah. So you, so in terms of um, playing for New South Wales, you you know playing grey cricket, the standard is exceptionally high. There isn't actually really a comparable league in in England, but I imagine when you first played for New South Wales, whilst the step up would have been noticeable and. Um, mm. It would have been a bit of a pinch me moment as well. I mean, compare yeah. that first couple of matches for New South Wales and your first experience of the Big Bash, because at the time you played the Big Bash, um, you could say it was as popular it was as it had ever been, and actually as popular as it's been since. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the Big Bash is pretty fun to be I mean, amazing 
fun to be a part of. Um, and I was fortunate enough. So I spent quite a bit of time with Sam Billings and Jason Roy. They were both out overseas for a couple of years while I was at the Sixers, um, which was really cool. And so you had exposure to that sort of these overseas international world-class players. And then we also had like Moses on Rakes and Brett Lee was around when I started. <laughs> like I was like, well, this guy's is an absolute legend, you know, <laughs> watching him like rip, you know, rip guys face guards off and hit them in the helmet and you know that sort of stuff and you know like, then you're training with them in the nets and it's like this is pretty cool <laughs> um yeah and Stewie McGill was another one who's he was also at Sydney Uni um I played with him uh, for one season we won the premiership he was he was bowling leagues I was bowling offies that was pretty awesome um yeah so definitely the big bash it was a huge deal in 2016 I yeah, debuted in Perth of all places like Perth yeah. but, for finger spinners, but I play. I bowled two overs. So we got we got bowled out for a hundred or something. It wasn't much of a game, but yeah, it's very cool part. Very awesome to play. I think I played seven games in in the three seasons I was part of the Sixers, which was yeah, hell of a lot of fun. Just touring around the country, and it was a good you know, party atmosphere. There's thousands of people coming to watch, and yeah, it's, it's a hell of a time. Do you, I mean, mm. could you just enjoy it, or was there part of you that thought, "I wish I." could have had this you know eight or nine years ago uh yeah you sort of think about that but i do i also don't think i was ready for that sort of thing when i was 20 21 that standard of cricket i was not as not prepared enough but i didn't prepare you know i suppose professionally as enough i was a student at uni and um i suppose if i was given a contract things might have been different but that was just i sort of was pretty happy go lucky with with it and then Started when I was 25. I was like, right, I've got to. This, I know what I need to do now to prepare. I got to be super fit, and that's how I stand out from the crowd and get myself keep improving, keep developing my batting, um, all those little things that make you a better cricketer. Um, yeah, and that's kind of what I I still strive for now. Whether it's maintaining my technique or developing little things here or there, but yeah, you've got to keep trying to get better. Otherwise, what's the point of um, playing at this level? I suppose. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland 
and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Yeah. So then we get to 2018 and you know suddenly you're being mentioned as a as a possible call up to the Aussie squad. I mean how different how different yeah. would life have been? I mean would you yeah. I, of course you would have accepted the uh, the baggy green if it came your way but again that's just a, a crazy situation to find yourself in when you look at what happened two years after that or not even two years actually a year after that yeah no it was it was yeah it was like 18 months later but yeah i remember at the time there was i was in an article that where there was like five spinners that could possibly go and i was like one of the five but i look i was never going to go because they had lion and no, agar o'keefe uh even john holland there's a bunch of guys ahead of me and swept uh, another leggy i don't think it was swept and swept it was another one but yeah, I mean, there was a lot of spinners that I knew were, you know, far ahead of me with experience and um, time in the Australian system and youth on their side as well, I suppose. But, yeah, so I never really was – I don't think I was ever really in contention at all. But th- that article was written and, yeah, it's quite cool. But, um, but yeah, it was – at the same time, I do remember thinking, like, well, what if I go and I'm in the Australian squad? I'm like, shit, that's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. Uh, you, of course you have those thoughts. Um but yeah, yeah. Well, here, here I happened. Very happy. Well, I was going to say it didn't happen, but um, give me an idea of how how it came to pass. And you've got a contract with New South Wales, and then what happens? Do you get a phone call and you, you don't recognise a number, and you answer it, and there's someone at the other end with a Kiwi accent who says, "You got a chance. You know, you, you got a chance here to play for the Black Caps, but you've got to come back to Auckland." Is it? I mean, is that? How it works. Uh, no, no, not at all. So I led the whole move to New Zealand because I oh, played. Okay. So I did some inquiries myself. I, f- I phoned, um, I spoke to Bruce Edgar, who's mm. the Wellington coach, and he was a person I knew from Wellington days. So he worked with my dad, my father, like however many years ago, 25 years ago. Um, and yeah, so I, I spoke to him about the possible, the potential, where's the best province for me to go and I can play where I can play more cricket so the season before this so the end of the season comes March for New South Wales I played one first class game having the season before I played seven first class games for New South Wales took 35 wickets that's when they talked about me for the tour to India and that article for example but I had a great summer um, taking five wickets a game and averaging like 20 so I was like uh, at the absolute you know starting to realize I'm like, um, I can do this and feeling a lot of belief and stuff and wanting to play more cricket. And then the next season only played one game for New South Wales. So that was a real down. I was captain of the second 11 team for New South Wales, which is great and stuff. But obviously having played done really well the season before, you want to be playing more at that level again, test yourself in the second season, but that didn't happen. So I was like, right, where can I go to play more cricket? And I always have had this, that desire in me and the, you know, the dream of playing for New Zealand and then I was like well surely a a province in New Zealand I can go over there with my Sheffield Shield record the last couple of years I I was hoping that someone would be interested and might require a spinner to bowl a lot of overs in their four-day stuff 
and to play more white ball cricket, which I wasn't getting much opportunity for New South Wales and the odd Big Bash game was amazing. But it was, yeah, seven games over three years again. It was great exposure, but yeah, the ability to play more cricket. And that was when I spoke to Bruce and we went through the provinces and he's at Auckland and he knew Mark O'Donnell really well, the coach there, who's not no longer our coach at the Aces, but he was last season. Um, so I rang him and I was in New Zealand with the family in May for like three weeks, just um, my life and yeah, visiting my my parents who live in Wanaka. And then, yeah, so we I met Mark and had a coffee and he was interested and then, yeah, just sort of went from there. Like then Simon Inslee, who's uh, from Worcestershire, an Englishman, um, Worcester, and but he's now working for Tasmania Cricket, funnily enough. But he's a high-performance guy for Auckland and he kind of arranged um, everything just over the phone and email. And then I, I had to get out of my New South Wales contract because I had a two-year contract. So I relinquished that contract to take up the Auckland contract. Um, and then I moved to Auckland in August, basically, and then settled in, yes, contract starts 1 September. So I was there. Um, went to Abu Dhabi, strangely, for 10-day 2020 tournament with the Ace, Auckland Aces played against Yorkshire and like um, the Titans from South Africa and just a random uh, tournament. We were there for seven days in September, end of September, came back, played two first class games and a couple of one days, like white ball 50 over games for Auckland. And then I got a call from Gavin Larson, like you're going over to the UAE to play, you know, to be in the test squad to play Pakistan. So that was like, it was all within like two months of being in, landing in New Zealand. Yeah, so it was all kind of, but yeah, I drove, I actually initiated the whole move really, just trying to, put, wanting to play more cricket, knowing I was 33, I'm like, well, what's the point of being in a squad where I'm playing one game a year? It just wasn't going to, just didn't sit well with me. So let's make the most of it, play more cricket, see what can happen in New Zealand and just, yeah, keep attacking well, that. Well, it's, um, you know, for a career that took its, its sweet time, Suddenly, mm. it went into fast forward, didn't it? I mean, just to give you an idea, actually, that series, uh, I won't forget it because um, we were following it because I'm not sure you played in the test where New Zealand won by six runs. Was that the third test? No, that was the first okay. test. That was the first that test. So that was Ajaz Patel's debut That's as well. That's right. But... And East Sodi was playing in that one, wasn't he? We were yeah. actually sitting on a train in going from Candy to Colombo following oh, the old yeah. Crick Info, me, uh, Jared Kimber, the uh, Australian cricket mm. writer, yeah, yeah. Matt yeah. Pryor, the former England wicketkeeper, and Gareth yeah. Batty. And we were all just yeah, yeah. transfixed by this match between, you know, Pakistan yeah. and New Zealand. Anyway, fast forward to the third test match um, and you, you get to debut for the Black Caps. I mean, walking out mm. to the field with those players, I mean, I imagine, well, you tell me, how many of them did you actually know? Because coming through <laughs> Sheffield Shield yeah. cricket, I mean, I, I guess Not there's a couple of them. I'm, uh, I'm trying to think which ones play for Auckland. But, you know, how many yeah. of them had you actually yeah. played with or against? Uh, so I knew, funnily enough, I knew Ross Taylor quite well. from. So in 2005, I was at the New Zealand Cricket Academy. After my first class debut for Otago, I went to the academy for five months and Ross played. He lived with us for about, when all the games were on for like five weeks, he stayed with us and played in our team. So, and that was just before Ross became a black cap as well. So he was kind of still on the development path. Um, so I knew him pretty well from that time. We had together, like, well, almost 15 years ago, but 
yeah, we still got we're the same age, so um, got on quite well with Ross. And I also knew, knew Tim Saudi because I played against him a couple of times. I played twice against Northern Districts when I played for Otago in four games, played twice against ND. So I played BJ Watling as well. So I knew BJ, Tim Saudi, Ross Taylor, the guys are obviously um, 30 plus at least. Uh, they're the <laughs> ones that, I, that, that, that still remember me and knew me from my Otago days, which was quite cool. So there was a few guys that I was familiar with um, and, and Guppy as well, but Guppy wasn't in the test team, but Martin Guptill. Um, he was in the, in the academy intake with me, and so I spent six months or five months with Guppy. Um, so there's a bit of there was a bit of a connection, I suppose, um, loosely with a few of the guys. And then Jeet Rival is from Auckland. He's the one other Aucklander in the squad um, for my debut. Yeah, you, we were talking about you crying in the car park when you got your first contract in New South Wales, but you. <laughs> Well, this comes back to me crying somewhere. Yeah. yeah, well, that's the thing. You're also pretty, uh, pretty emotional when you walk from the field after the match. Um, I found another article yeah. where you said you got, you got. Are you an emotional guy? Sounds like yeah, it. Well, yeah, I suppose I wear my heart on the sleeve a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm not afraid to cry. That's <laughs> good. I mean, fact, on the flip side of that, there, there must have been some pretty tough times along the way as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I suppose you cherishing those good moments you know and when things are tough you don't i don't really cry it's just with those <laughs> it's <laughs> funny isn't it and the things that you know go really well then you really appreciate them and uh, yeah it brings out the real you know brilliant emotions i suppose but yeah that was a pretty special feeling coming off that field in abu dhabi um winning like it's yeah real pinch yourself moment hugely yeah. so um so what about the Aussies then when you walked out to, to bat against them at the SCG? What, what were they saying? Yeah. Uh, not a lot, actually. Uh, no, Dave Warner was quite funny because we were playing at the SCG and the wicket was pretty slow. And he, I, don't, I do remember very clearly in the first innings I was facing Nathan. I was like, I wasn't really, I didn't really have a clear plan in my head. I was just like out there batting. Uh, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a great five balls that I faced. I got a duck. <laughs> but I realised, remember, Davey saying it's just like just like Waverley Oval out here, boys, <laughs> or something summers, because that's where I played a lot of cricket with him growing up, um, things like that. And I'd spent so much time. So facing Nathan was quite weird. Like I've spent a lot of time bowling with him in the nets with New South Wales. I never played a game with him because obviously we do the same skill, so not really. I'm sort of, I was sort of surplus to their requirements, but a lot of training with him and Stephen O'Keefe. Um, who I played quite a lot with as well, but we spent like hours in the nets together, just bowling and talking about off-spin bowling and the craft and things. So, yeah, it was quite strange facing him uh, first up, and then Mitchell Stark in the second innings as well. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, castled me pretty convincingly with one of his reverse swinging Yorkers. That was, yeah, I've seen him do it in to the opposition when I've been playing with him, but yeah, um, wasn't much fun having my poles not. <laughs> No, I bet. Um, so you played you played for New Zealand uh, four tests, but not in New Zealand. I'm, I'm not yeah. sure how many people have played for New Zealand uh, more than once or twice, and not actually played in New Zealand. I, I take mm. it that is your that is an aim. That's uh, is it, or is it something that yeah. bothers you? Do, you, do, do? Does it almost feel like it hasn't happened? Do you, do you walk down the street? Do people recognise you? Uh, no, not really. No, people, unless they, they're cricket people. Um, I'm not, certainly not recognisable, but um, the odd person does. But the, yeah, obviously playing a home test would be wonderful. Like it's something I want to do 100%. But the, so 
the issue. I mean, we had India tour here just recently and Ajaz played the first test and bowled five overs and then they didn't even pick him in the second test. They just played five seamers. So with DeGrondo as the fifth seamer. So that's kind of, that was, that was a dangerous piece in my mind because I want to be playing as a spinner in home conditions, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. But mind you, that was against India who obviously, you know, world-class players of spin and not so good on green wickets. So we were all, always going to present them with the most green wickets possible to get as many points as we could, which works in our favour, which was brilliant. So, yeah, you can, this is not great for spinners in New Zealand generally <laughs> with those hey, sorts got- of wickets. You, you've got this far believing that it was gonna, it's going to happen. So, um, you know, mm. I, I think few, I think you'd be foolish to bet against you turning out for New Zealand <laughs> in home conditions at some point, whether it's the, you know, because of injury to Trent Bolt or the birth of a child to Nathan Lyon or, or an injury to Todd Astor. You know, it's just gonna, it's yeah. written in the stars. It's got to happen. Um, yeah, surely. Yeah, yeah. And no, I'll keep doing what I can to get in there anyway. Trying to push my case. A big thanks to Will for agreeing to be interviewed and I hope you enjoyed listening but that's pretty much it for the following on podcast this week but stay tuned for the next edition of the Cricket Collective which will be appearing in your feed next week all the best and keep listening to the following on podcast on Spotify Acast or Apple Podcasts The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.